Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. In 1959, journalist John Howard Griffin went undercover for six weeks, posing as a black man in the Deep South. He was assisted by a physician who temporarily darkened Griffin's skin. Friends no longer recognized him. Strangers assumed he was black. Griffin chronicled what happened next in a journal. It was published two years later as Black Like Me and received considerable acclaim. But the book has fallen out of favor. Some modern readers say it's patronizing. Others say it seems a bit tone deaf. Well, now playwright Monty Cole is turning Black Like Me into a play, but it's not a straight translation. He calls it both an adaptation of and a commentary on the 1961 book. And his version is now being highlighted in a one-night-only staged reading through the Repertory Theater of St. Louis. And he joins us today to tell us about it. So, Monty Cole, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell me, how did you first become aware of this book, Black Like Me? Funny enough, okay, so I actually saw the movie poster first because they made a movie of it in 1964 with James Whitmore. And the movie poster says, I changed the color of my skin. Now I know what it feels like to be black. And it shows James Whitmore um, completely um, darkened his skin, like, um, both, like his face, but everything is, is, is darkened. And um, he is going, uh, going through the story of John Howard Griffin as, as, um, in sort of a, a black makeup. And um, that in itself just kind of blew me away. And I was immediately intrigued, like, what is this? Then finding out it's a book, then finding out it's actually a real story, and then finding out that it's actually based on journal entries, I was so intrigued to read it. Um, and I had a similar, I had a, uh, an experience reading it like you described, where I was both deeply intrigued into this almost Twilight Zone story of what was happening to John Howard Griffin, but then also kind of pushing off in the book, too, like, I don't think that's right, or I don't think that's what it's like to be a black man, or that is what it's like to be a black man, but how does John know that? And kind of just being sucked in and pushing away. And I wanted to make a play that was a theatricalization of that reading experience. It's interesting. We heard from a number of our listeners today who had fond memories of this book, that they felt like this helped them really understand what it would be like to be Black. And and suffice it to say, um, the people that we heard this from, these were white listeners. Do you think there's a big difference between how white people and Black people deal with this text today? I totally think there is. And I think that there's um, obviously room for both of those experiences. I think that that's what's interesting about the play is it's the theatricalization of the black experience. What I'm trying to do is um, collect the reactions from people who work on this play and put that into the play. So um, a lot of what you hear in the play is not even necessarily my point of view as much as the people who are acting in it or people who have acted in it in the past and their responses to the book uh, as it goes on. I, yeah, I've heard a lot of similar things. I heard um, that, uh, you know, a lot of people, this was sort of their gateway into black culture. Um, and I think that that um, is fair, especially for the time when no one was listening. Um, John was one person who actually was listening. So um, there is a deep empathy that's coming from John that's in the book that I really love. Um, and then there's also a pushing off. And I, and I think that sometimes we forget in America that um, love comes from a place of criticism. Um, and so 
you can both love something a lot and criticize something a lot. And that's kind of what's in the play, too, is that we both, I both, like, uh, love John for making this journey, but also I'm criticizing him for making the journey as well. Hmm. It's interesting. I, I read a piece in Smithsonian Magazine that said that uh, John Howard Griffin himself later curtailed his speaking engagements about this book. He said, quote, it was absurd for a white man to presume to speak for black people when they have superlative voices of their own. Isn't part of the problem with this that in order for this story to be told, that a white man had to go and experience it, that people weren't willing to listen to it when, when a black man was telling stories of, of what was happening to him as as a real person, not somebody with an artificial skin treatment. Totally. And that's a huge point of the play is that um, as we talk about that, we talk about how it is one thing for you to hear me talk about my pain, but it's another thing for you to hear a white person talk about black pain. And maybe you'll listen to it more coming from the white person than you'll listen to it coming from me. Mm-hmm. And how recontextualizing it um, as these black, uh, as this black ensemble plus one white actor telling the story, like what does that do to you? How does that uh, change the way you might see the book? How does that change the way you might see another black person? Um, but at the same time, um, black actors are playing John throughout the story too, hmm. um, and so you get to see kind of the empathy goes goes both ways. You get to see the black actors have to empathize with John as John is trying to empathize with the black characters he encounters. So having black actors portray John, this white journalist, is that how you dealt with this whole issue of blackface? The idea of putting a a white actor in black makeup today, it feels like a lot of white actors wouldn't even want to do that. Oh, yeah, it's terrifying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What what we actually do is um, there's actually a moment in the play where, uh, it's actually a moment in the book, too, where he has this transformation where he looks he transforms himself in a hotel room and he shaves his head and he does all the things to transform and then he looks in the mirror and goes oh my god i did it (laughs) and uh in that moment what we were trying to do is go okay so uh in that moment actually in the play he goes to put some of the makeup on his face and the actors just shut it down (laughs) like no we're not doing that we're not doing that in this production um and instead what happens is John is speaking his own dialogue, but any of the narration is spoken by a black actor off stage. So you're hearing his thoughts as narration from a black voice, but you're seeing his white body on stage. So you're never really forgetting that it's a white actor playing John. You're never forgetting the fact that John is white, but you are hearing sort of the narration may be in a new light because you're hearing it from black voices instead. Hmm. That's an interesting way of dealing with, I'm, I'm sure, what, what was such a fraught issue. Did it take you a while to arrive at that solution? Had you tried other ideas first that, that didn't quite work, or did you know that's how you wanted to deal with it? I, what's really been wonderful is that I've had a couple of workshops with this where I actually get to work with actors. You know, I'm a, I would say I'm a, probably a director first, hmm. and so... Um, getting on my feet with actors is really important to, to how uh, it appears in the script. And so the first thing we did was we just read the book out loud um, with a room full of um, black people. And uh, hearing those words coming out of black people, it was like, oh, shoot, that's probably, that's probably has to be somewhere in the play. <laughs> it was just so powerful hearing it from these black voices. Hmm. But at the same time, they would, there would be, he would say something and then they'd be like, okay, hold up. Can we talk about this for a second? And um, that commentary of like needing to stop it to like talk about the thing 
um, we just inserted that into the play. So it's part of the dramatic structure that at any given moment, the play can stop and the actors can talk about what they just said or what they just experienced. Hmm. The reaction you got from these performers that you workshop this with, did that vary widely? Did people have a different level of comfort with, uh, you know, the way that he told this story? Yes, yeah, and that's what I'm trying to communicate in the in the script too. Is that each of these actors are coming from a different point of view. Um, some of them are like from the get go, like, nope, this isn't cool. We're not. We shouldn't be doing this in the first place. I don't know why we're doing this. And then some other people are like, um, you know, there's actually a lot of salient points in here. There's actually a lot of good points, and um, I wish more people would listen the way that John did. Um, John not only try to do something he changed like the what you hear when john says like i stopped doing these speaking engagements is really john deciding oh wait i should pass the mic i should mm. actually let black leaders speak for themselves and so what's kind of wonderful about this adaptation is it's actually kind of continuing john howard griffin's journey of actually letting Black people speak for themselves by reinterpreting his text. Hmm. I saw a great quote from you. You said, if the original book was An Idiot's Guide to Being a Good Ally in 1961, the play is An Idiot's Guide to Being a Good Ally in 2020. How do you think that definition of being a good ally has shifted in those decades that have passed? Yeah, I mean, at the time, it was was such a low bar, right? It's like uh, someone who is willing to ask the questions, who are is willing to um, look into the community and then report back to the to their own community and say, "Hey, here's what's going on." I think that's why a lot of people at the time were like, "This is such a important piece of text because it's it was actually just closing the divide that was happening between these communities where they weren't talking to each other." Somewhere in the epilogue, they even said, like, you know, the white communities were like, black people are coming. They're going to come with guns. There are black people that are coming with guns. And then the black community was like, white people are coming. The white people are coming. They're going to come with guns. And neither of these communities were actually talking to each other. Hmm. And John was just kind of inserting himself in the middle of it, being like, guys, no one's coming with guns. You all should just talk to each other, and maybe this could work itself out. And so um, you can kind of see John learn over the course of the book. And that's all I want from people right now. I, I, th- all I want is a, is a sense of empathy, is a sense that we can all learn and maybe become the people that we want to be. Hmm. We're talking today to playwright Monty Cole. His new play, Black Like Me, it's going to be um, performed in a one-night-only staged reading. That's through the Repertory Theater of St. Louis. It's happening September 10th at 7.30 p.m. Um, All are invited to join, although you do have to register ahead of time. We have all that information on our website, which is stlpublicradio.org. And the story of how this got to St. Louis is also kind of an interesting story. Monty, I understand you were originally going to do a staged reading somewhere else. This was the 2020 Ignition Festival at Victory Gardens. What happened there? Yeah, so um, Victory Gardens actually is the place where I used to work. I used to be the artistic programs manager there. I used to be the casting director there. Um, And until there was a moment where I was like, you know what, I'm going to actually allow myself to be an artist. I'm going to leave this admin job. Uh, And so I used to run the Ignition Festival in a way with, uh, well, I would say actually my colleague Isaac Gomez, who's now a fabulous playwright, um, ran it more than I did, but we kind of uh, worked it together, and it was gonna, it was really exciting to be back at there uh, at, at, at Victory Gardens um, during this time where they were transitioning from one artistic director Che Yu to another. Um, 
The other artistic director was Erica Daniels, who um, just has had a history in Chicago of, um, I would say, hurting um, black and brown uh, members of the community in a way, mm. um, and just not being um, transparent in the process of, of hiring this new artistic director and what that should look like, even though people begged for Fitzgerald Gardens to do that. And I started to realize that as the play was like this bridge to understanding and having people and showing what ap- allyship looked like, um, they were trying to use Black Like Me as a bridge of understanding um, without actually doing the work mm. um, beforehand. Um, and they were trying to use the play and, and me for that regard. Um, and so I pulled my play, and I will say, actually, the first thing I did at 3 o'clock in the morning when I pulled my play was I emailed Hannah Sharif at the Rep in St. Louis um, because not only had they actually shown an interest in the play before, uh, back in January, um, their literary manager or their actually was a producer of new play development, uh, Bex, um, emailed me and was like, oh, my God, I just read Black Like Me. Can we talk about this? This is fantastic. Um, but Hannah Sharif also is just such an amazing leader in the national American theater conversation right now um, that I just trusted them more than anyone in the country to lead the conversation. And I I'm, I'm swear I'm not... I'm not even getting paid to say that. I just, that's <laughs> genuinely how I felt um, at three o'clock in the morning that day. So I, uh, and within hours, um, Hannah was like, of course, what do you need? And, and that, that is such a great testament to the rep and to Hannah, who, yeah, she's she's only been here, I think, about a year, year and a half at this point. But but she is amazing. Um, and that's actually the, the, the perfect segue in just our last, I don't know, five minutes we have here uh, to introduce our, our an additional guest for this segment. And that is the rep's producer of New Play Development, uh, Bex Redman. Uh, Bex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So this is, uh, Monty has sort of thrown the football here. He sends this email at three in the morning. Um, <laughs> this email makes its way to, to Hannah and to you. What was your reaction to hearing you could land Black Like Me for this stage reading? I mean, I was both heartbroken for Monty to have to make such a big, powerful decision in pulling the play. But I was also so grateful that he came to us to be able to kind of pick up the play and put it back in safe hands. And this was a play that I've been advocating to do for a while now. Um, The rep, we were supposed to produce our first big new play festival um, in the fall, which obviously had to be postponed because of COVID-19. And Black Like Me was so in contention to be a part of that festival that having the opportunity to do it now, especially during the movement that's happening right now in the United States, is just so meaningful to us. And I'm just so honored that he let us kind of pick up the pieces. And, and what about this play um, do you find just so so relevant and so important right now? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you were talking about the idiot's guide to being a good ally. I mean, this play explores allyship in so many different ways, and it explores how actually difficult and controversial allyship can really be and what does it mean to actually be a good ally. And I don't think that anyone really has the answer to that in general, and we're all trying to figure that out. And just being able to explore this right now during this time um, is a theme that I definitely wanted to put in front of people and see what the feedback would be. Hmm. Now, Monty, as you said, you've been working on this for quite some time now. You've had some workshopping sessions. Is the play that we're going to see at this stage reading next week, is this, are you hoping this will be the final product or is this still a work in progress? 
Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this will work. Um, I, uh, I would also say obviously like the zoom context is not the perfect context for this play. It, um, I, you know, I consider theater in a very, um, intentional practical way like this play is actually meant to do a few practical things like it's meant to be this idiot idiot's guide as i mentioned before it's also meant for bipoc people to really consider um how we use allies and or how we talk to allies and what cancel culture looks like and um when do we push them away or when when can we say enough is enough or or when do we welcome them in and so um Having it's not a play you can kind of develop in a silo. It really does need audience response to kind of calibrate all those things to see if it's working on the levels that it needs to be working. Mm-hmm. So um, that's really what this workshop is for me. Is like hearing how the audience is responding to it. When are they pushing away from it? Uh, I do want you know. There's people like you said. There's people who really do love this book and find it to be genuinely helpful. And I don't want to discount that experience either. So I want to calibrate all these experiences to see what. Um, makes people tune in and not check out. Um, and so that's why this was so important to have like a, a national reading of it and to hear it out loud. And actually, we're going to have a chat feature uh, turned on during the reading so that people can actually respond to the play as it's happening. Um, I, it's, it's important to hear that feedback in order to continue to develop it into the live experience it's going to be someday. Hmm. Well, it's so exciting to, to see this thing take shape. And, and uh, Bex, as, as Monty mentioned there, there could be a national audience for this as well, not just in St. Louis. Do you think that much as this play was on your radar before you landed it here for the rep, um, do you think other people are going to be tuning in across the nation? Oh, of course. You've already gotten so many amazing responses from a lot of our sister theaters across the country, a lot of friends and family across the country. Um, This play has also circulated um, internally to a bunch of different theaters, and so many people have had their eyes on it, which is another reason why the rep is just so lucky to be able to um, continue its development right now. So we will have so many people across the country watching this reading and really supporting Monty through it. Well, Bex Redman, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. And Bex, again, is the reps producer of New Play Development. And I also want to thank Monty Cole, the playwright of Black Like Me, um, for joining us and sharing his vision for just this really interesting new play. Of course. Thanks for having us. I can't wait to see this. This is going to be next uh, Thursday. That's September 10th. It's at 7.30 p.m. They are asking that people pre-register, and I understand that space is limited to watch this, so you want to get on that now. You can find that link on the Reps website or on our website, which is stlpublicradio.org. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.